Hello, everybody. I'm Steve. I'm here today with author Mike Thorne. Mike, thanks for joining us. It's uh, it's great that you decided to come by and chat. Thanks so much for having me, man. Yeah. So, for for anyone who may not be familiar with with your work, um, what kind of books do you write, and what do you enjoy doing? Um, I write horror fiction. Um, so my, my two books that have been released to date are Shelter for the Damned, which is my debut novel. It's a coming of age cosmic horror novel and Darkest Hours, a collection of short stories, which is uh, being re-released by Journal Stone on June 11th. Um, and the new edition has author notes for every story and a uh, foreword by Sadie Hartman, AKA Mother Horror, and a collection of uh, horror film essays by by yours truly. So oh, nice. that's what I do. That's what I like to do. I like to write. I like to read. I like to listen to music. Mm -hmm. I like okay. to drink coffee. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Any type of coffee you're, you're, uh, what, what type of coffee do you prefer? When I'm going to the grocery store, the best option is usually kicking horse, but I like to get local coffee when I can. Uh, there's a place called Hexagon on my street where I get uh, some, some good beans. So that's a good spot. Oh, nice. Yeah. Have you ever tried um, your own beans? Have you ever tried that? I have not. No, I feel like it would be uh, potentially disastrous. So like you just do it in your oven or what? How do you do it? I've seen some people do it in those little uh, old fashioned popcorn makers that the popcorn comes over the, the little mm. shoot. I've, some, I've seen some people use those to, <laughs> to, wow. to get their beans ready. Yeah, it's kind of strange. Maybe one day. Yeah. So I was curious with with Darkest Hours, what, what made you decide to re-release it with author's notes and with extra goodies? Well, the the contract ended with the original publisher. Um, and when I pitched it, I was just thinking, how can I maximize on this new release? How can I um, turn it into something new, something exciting? Um, author notes was one of the first things that came to mind, but then I also thought I, I've, I've written so much film criticism over time and it's kind of scattered throughout the internet. Um, and given that Darkest Hours is uh, full of references to horror cinema and the aesthetic of, of the original release and this release kind of draw on that, uh, I thought that would be a really kind of intuitive supplementary uh, thing to bring into the book. So um, Journal Stone was down and um, so we went with it and yeah, I, I think this is a, this is kind of like the definitive version of this book. I'm really happy with it. I really enjoy the author's notes at the end of each story. And I was, I was surprised and I, I, I appreciated the way that you dealt with certain subjects in the story without being too in your face or batting someone over the head with it. They're really subtle, all the, you know, the, the notes in the story. So I, I thought that was pretty well done. It wasn't over the top. It wasn't, you know, it was just enough to where you got your message across, but it wasn't um, too in your face to where it was being uh, too forceful. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of allergic to uh, overly didactic art, regardless of the format. Um, so I, I, as a writer, therefore, never seek out to write a message story. Um, that 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 kind of uh, fiction just doesn't appeal to me personally. Um, granted, I do think like my ideological and, um, 
you know, moral fixations probably find their way into the fiction, uh, but I prefer to let that happen organically. And then, then I can maybe reflect on it in retrospect, but yeah. On and, Raul yeah. Reads. Yeah, Raul, yes, the author's notes connected any dots that I wasn't able to connect myself. Yeah, there was a few, to his point, there was a few that um, I read the story and I, I got some of it. And then when I read your notes at the end, it kind of all came together for me. So, because uh, I'm, I'm not the brightest crane on the box, so I need a little bit of help sometimes to, to get some of it without reading it a few times and getting the hang of it. Well, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed that that uh, that aspect of the re-release. Yeah, and it's funny because some of those stories that are done subtly like that, they're some of the more frightening stories uh, in the book. Yeah, that's and I think that's another thing with horror fiction is is often the immediate. Um, the most immediate thing to come from a horror story sometimes is just the affect, like the emotional or the sensory experience of reading it. Um, and of course, that's something as a horror author, I'm, I'm very happy to strive for that. But usually I, I am grappling with with more than just that. So, for instance, a story like Hair, um, I think elicits probably a, a visceral response in a lot of readers. But I was also, you know, writing about addiction and the horror of inhabiting a human body um, and things like that. So I, I was hoping the story notes would help maybe bring some of those other ideas to the forefront a little bit. Yeah. So what draws you to horror? What, what is it about the genre that you really enjoy that you like writing? Uh, what is it? What is it about horror that you love? I think um, primarily uh, I, I, I came to horror because I've just always been a fan. I consider myself like a student of the genre. I, I it's a genre. Um, I feel like there's always more for me to learn from and more for me to explore within. Um, but I think just the unique excesses of the genre allow you to confront um, very uncomfortable subterranean truths that in a way that is not as easily accessible in other fiction genres. Um, so I think just by virtue of the way horror is designed with its imagery, with its affective registers, you can um, go to very, very, uh, yeah, disturbing, you can access disturbing truths, I guess, for lack of a better uh, word. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Uh, do you have a, a uh, short stories are difficult to write, you know, to have the reader engaged in the story, to tell the story in a short amount of time. Do you have any any kind of methods that you use or any anything that you do specifically for short stories to to get any tools that you may use to get the reader engaged with and still tell the story? Um, usually my short stories will begin with something very simple, like an image, um, a concept maybe, or a character. Um, and what I try to do is explore the origin of that image to its fullest, the trajectory of that character, or um, the horrific potential within that concept. Um, I draw a little bit on some like narratological theory. Uh, I, I think a lot of people scoff at things like uh, Robert McKee's story, um, but that's a book I read for a directed writings seminar during my undergrad. And I found it quite instructive in terms of thinking about the function of every scene. Every scene needs to have a turn in some sense. So just thinking very, um, 
thinking about the utility of every scene and thinking about, um, I, I don't even know if you necessarily need to know the destination, maybe roughly have a sense of where the story is going. My process to date has been pretty organic. Like I don't plan in advance. I might have a vague sense of where it's going, but I, I'm not, I'm more of a quote unquote pantser, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a there's planners and there's pantsers, is that right? Is that, is that the terms that are used? Yeah, yeah, plotters and pantsers, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So once you have your idea, do you uh, you kind of build around your idea and with your plotting your characters? Yeah, exactly. So uh, I guess to go back to a story like Hair, um, that story originated from I guess a few dissonant concepts. So I think for many writers, or at least this is the case for me, there'll be um, maybe a series of things I'm fixated on in a particular moment in my life. Maybe as a result of texts I'm reading or a relationship I'm in, or um, maybe some resurfaced bad memory or something like that. Hair arose from, um, originally, I was just interested in that affective reaction, that that common affective reaction that people have to finding hair in their food. Uh, something that comes from our bodies when we find it in a place it's not supposed to be. We have this intense reaction of revulsion and that interested me. Um, so I brought that into my interest in writing a, a story about addiction through a quasi omniscient perspective. So you can kind of see the, the escalation of Theodore's addiction, but you're also kind of submerged in his POV simultaneously. So you see the horror of it, but you also see his inability to see the horror of it. Um, yeah, and, and then I was also reading um, a book at the time called The Thing, A Phenomenology of Horror, uh, which um, seeks to find a kind of unhuman phenomenology, but the book is interested in I guess, broadly speaking, the horror of inhabiting a body with a past that we don't recognize. Yeah, so all those things came together and I wrote hair. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. And Raul commented it was gross. Uh -huh. Thank you, Raul. Uh, <laughs> what a strange field I'm in where when people say that was disgusting or you horrified me, I say thank you. That's uh, your job, right? I mean, that's, that's my job. Yeah. So do you have any limits or and Jeremy fees here? Hello, Jeremy. Um, hey, Jeremy. Yeah, yeah. In terms of, of writing our stories, are there certain lines you won't cross when you write the stories? Or do you ever write something and say, oh, I went too far, I need to back this up? Um, I don't have any specifically in mind. Um, I'm sure there are places I, I wouldn't want to go because I wouldn't feel comfortable inhabiting certain points of view or I wouldn't feel um justified in inhabiting certain points of view but i i don't have any any um ready-made answer to that question i i do think um horror in terms of content should elicit discomfort and fear and um uh, and strong either moral or physical reactions so i think the job of horror is to disrupt and maybe to call attention to things we'd rather not look at. Um, so to my mind, self-censorship is something that uh, is uh, is best kept out of the genre. Having said that, I would never write a story promoting, you know, 
uh, views or beliefs that I find repellent. I would never write a story promoting racism or sexism or homophobia or something because those are things I find repellent. But there's no saying I wouldn't write a character who who holds those beliefs uh, that but um, I would make it clear that I'm not endorsing those views. Sure. Yeah. And and James is here. He says hello. Hello, James. Hi, James. Um, So when you develop your characters, do you ever develop them around people that you know or people you've met? Do you model them around people, whether it's in a good or bad way? Not as transparently as that. I think most of my characters are amalgams. Um, Most of my characters have some piece of me in them somewhere, because after all, they came from my brain. Um, There are definitely uh, also fragments of of people I've known or people I've heard about, Um, maybe stories I heard growing up or stories I hear on the train or stories I read in the news. So it kind of comes from everywhere. Um, but, uh, yeah, never, never, I've never written a character that's modeled explicitly after one person I've known. And Maza Botubers here, he says, Hey guys, can't wait to read this. Thank you, Maza. I hope you dig it. Yeah. And you mentioned hearing stories you've heard. I'm always curious with, especially horror writers, if they've experienced any, any paranormal, any paranormal, uh, if you've had any paranormal experiences that they've drawn on for their writing, have you experienced anything you personally or heard any stories that really got to you? I have. Yeah, actually, I just did um, an interview with my friend uh, Maddie recently. Um, she runs a really cool uh, channel on alternative spirituality and, and witchcraft and stuff like that. She actually, her and I have been batting around the idea of me coming back just to exchange uh, our personal paranormal experience stories with each other. Um, but I, uh, I had, uh, I'm pretty sure, a poltergeist in this apartment for quite a while. There hasn't been any, any activity for a while, but there were just so many different uh, bizarre happenings that occurred over a span of time that I, I couldn't really explain it away. Um, one of them that I didn't talk about in that previous interview is one morning when I woke up, the key to my apartment was bent at like a 90 degree angle. Like, and I could not do this with, like, if I used 150% of my strength, people will often ask me, were you drunk the night before? The answer to that is no. And even if I was drunk, I don't turn into the Hulk when I'm drunk. Um, so, and, and I had to bring it to a, a key place and they had to use like a special vice to bend it back. And it's still slightly bent because it was so, um, but yeah, things smashing flying off the walls. Uh, There was just a lot of really wild activity. And there was one occasion where my ex and her friend were both there uh, when we had some Christmas lights over the archway to our kitchen and they just turned themselves on. And there were three of us witnessing this. So I had a poltergeist, yes. Yeah. And uh, my friend Elizabeth Sagewood is here. She says, hey guys, I'm actually on one of these live shows for once. Mike, I love Darkest Hours. Review is coming soon. Thanks so much, Elizabeth. I appreciate it. And uh, Raul mentioned, is there any stories that you felt was too much and had to dial it down? I think kind of touched on that a second ago about um, things you would try and stay away from. Yeah, I mean, there was one story, I guess, in the original uh, manuscript of Darkest Hours that I submitted. And I, um, the editor said he wanted to publish 
the, the book, but that particular story he didn't want to include. And in retrospect, I'm very glad he made that call because I think the ideological angle of the story was a little too muddy. Um, and now I'm very glad it hasn't seen the light of day. Um, but I, yeah, I tend not to, I, I tend to try to avoid self-censoring. If, if I'm feeling uncomfortable as I'm venturing into a story, my natural in instinct is to lean further into that. To, to I, I believe that's my duty as a horror writer is, is to look at the things I don't want to look at, the things that make me uncomfortable. Um, so no, if anything, I try to dial it up. If, you know, if I'm rewriting a story, I'll think, how do I make this more effective, more right. intense? So. And our friend Epic Tales is here. He's in the building. What's up, Epic Tales? Yeah. So that's interesting about the strange happenings in your apartment. What what made them go away? Or are they just, do they, do you have periods of time between that you experience things? I actually think it was tied to my ex because when she moved out, it stopped. Um, and her family had a number of paranormal, um, experiences in their home when she was growing up mm. and she used to work at a bakery and she would often hear whistling when she was alone in the bakery. And a couple times we heard whistling when she was here. So I think it was like attached to her. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. And th nothing since she left, nothing at all. Um, yeah. so I don't know, make of that what you will. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, and Epic Tales says, I've heard so many good things about Darkest Hours. Oh, I'm happy to hear that, Epic Tales. Thank you. And it is, it is available for pre-order now. And I've, I've noticed that, uh, especially in your author notes at the end of each story, you mentioned a lot of your inspirations and a lot of your ideas came from horror movies that you watched in the past. Um, have you ever considered going into the movie industry to, to be to participate in that part of it? Yeah, for sure. Um, I've been in a regular conversation with my good friend, Jamie Blanks. He directed Urban Legend and Valentine um, and two great Australian films, Storm Warning and uh, Long Weekend. Um, he and I are, are batting around several ideas at all times and, and we're looking at getting something going. So I'm a massive fan of Jamie. I mean, Urban Legend is a classic. I have an Urban Legend t-shirt. So when I connected with this guy's like, I was very uh, flattered and humbled and excited. So yeah, we're, we're, we're looking to develop something together. Um, so fingers crossed for that. And cor correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe you mentioned on, on social media that you are uh, writing an adaptation for uh, Shelter of the Damned. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I've completed a treatment for it. Um, and the goal is for me to write the screenplay as well. That was a really interesting process because that novel is so deeply interior. So to think about it in cinematic terms, which are mostly visual, um, was a was a really fun and interesting challenge. And uh, Jamie and I batted that back and forth for a while. And he gave me some really useful ideas, too. So um, yeah, I'm hoping that one sees the light of day. That's the that's the goal. Yeah. What was the biggest challenge in writing, converting that from a book to a screenplay? Is there, what are the, the, the big points that you have to change to convert it over to something that would be developed into a movie or a TV show? I mean, the main thing is that um, in the book, you are very much inside Mark's head, the protagonist Mark's head. 
and he's a very disturbed character. And you, um, if the book works, I think you get a sense of the conflict and the turmoil inside of him. Um, and to translate that to cinema requires a different set of tools. So you find um, visual cues and dialogue as a, as a means of expressing those things uh, because you don't, I mean, I didn't want to use voiceover or something like that. I think that can work in some contexts, but in this particular case, it didn't seem to me like the right way to go about it. So that would probably be the, the biggest challenge with that particular book. So speaking of movies, you, you mentioned, I believe it was one of the, is some of your author notes that you did you used to work in a video, uh, a video store way back. Uh, do you miss those days of, of having to go into a video store and get the movie off the shelf and, and get it that way? Or do you enjoy the convenience that we have now of just typing in a movie and most times just at our fingertips? Oh, I definitely miss those days. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I think like, you know, in order to get the selection that you would have at a video store, you need to be signed up to like 10 streaming services. You know, if you look and if you look at some of the biggest streaming services like Netflix, they have very few films that were released before like 1990. So if you're interested in, in world cinema or classic cinema, you really have to do some digging on, on a number of different streaming sites. And just the experience of being in a video store is something... I loved. Um, and, and when I worked there, I got 10 free rentals a week. So I would just devour movies. I would, I would, yeah, 10, 10 it was, it was a, it was a great job. I loved it. I used to, uh, we used to, you know, every weekend we used to go to the, to the store, to the, the rental place and go search for the movie we wanted to watch. And, you know, you had to go and dig for it and people, you know, they were scattered everywhere. I used to hate it. And now looking back, it was, it was kind of fun that, oh, yeah. that experience of going in there and, and, Often, you know, you'd even find movies that you didn't plan on watching, then you just picked up because that's all that was left. You ended up enjoying it. Yes, absolutely. So uh, Epic had a question. How much creative control do you have in the adaptation? Good question. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I'm the one writing the treatment. I would be the one uh, writing the script. Um, and uh, Jamie, you know, is, is very, very... Uh, respectful of the source and and um wants to give me a lot of uh creative uh freedom with it um but i'm also you know i deeply respect him and and trust him so any feedback he gives me i'm i'm like totally receptive to um so but yeah no i mean to this point i had pretty much full freedom yeah. Is that strange to give up control of your story like that? Is that even even though you trust him and you 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 value his his feedback? Is that strange to to kind of give that control over to someone else? I mean, so far I've only written the treatment, but you know, if if he were to move ahead with it, I think you know he would be. It sounds like he would he would want me involved as much as possible. So I think it would it would just be exciting. I don't I don't. Uh, in in this particular case, I don't I don't have any concerns on that front at all. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it helps that you're 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 familiar with him and you have good relationships. So yes, for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Are there any uh, movies that have really inspired you or really stuck with you over the years that you've watched and and they still you still go back to them and and reference them or just even go back and watch them just for fun that really uh, hit home for you? Yeah, I mean, 
there are so, so, so many. Um, like within, I guess I'll stick within the horror genre. Um, I'm a huge fan of uh, 1930s horror cinema in particular. So like the Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff cycle, especially. Um, I love also the golden age of the 70s and 80s. So Toby Hooper, George A. Romero, John Carpenter, um, Wes Craven, all of those people, I go back and study their films very closely. Um, in terms of contemporary filmmakers, I'm really excited by and inspired by the work that people like Rob Zombie and Kiyoshi Kurosawa are doing. Of course, the aforementioned Jamie Blanks too. Um, yeah, so, so, so many. I'm sure I'm forgetting stuff. I, I also love the Vincent Price stuff from the 60s, especially his collaborations with Roger Corman. Um, but yeah, I, I watch all kinds of, of film. I, I, I live and breathe movies. That's kind of my, uh, my lifeblood. So definitely. Yeah. Have you ever considered writing an, into another, another genre or, um, you ever thought about it or even started developing ideas for one? Yeah. I mean, I started, um, when I, I guess early in my undergrad, I wrote a lot of what I would deem now to be kind of bad poetry, but that was how I started um, exploring creative writing as an adult. Um, and it was it was dark stuff and, and kind of designed to elicit shock, but I wouldn't say a lot of it was horror. Some of it was horror poetry. Um, yeah, and I, I, you know, I, I'd write anything if, if the muse and the inspiration struck me. Um, but I'm also happy to stay in the horror genre. Horror feels like home to me, and I feel like it's boundless in terms of what you can do with it. Um, but yeah, totally, you know, if, if the, the time and the inspiration came, I would absolutely write outside of the genre. Yeah. And uh, Epic Tales has a question that I was just actually thinking as you were talking. Uh, what do you think of Grimdark or like dark fantasy? I think mm -hmm. you would do amazing stuff. Yeah. I was wondering that too, as, as you were talking, have you have you looked into a, a genre like grimdark or like a dark fantasy type of genre? Uh, what would be some examples of grimdark? Um, I think something like the first law trilogy would probably be um, on the lighter side of grimdark, but maybe um, the uh, Prince of Thorns books or uh, Ash and Sand or um, like Priest of Bones, those type of books. I haven't read any of those. I mean, would, would some of Clive Barker's work count as grimdark? I don't know. Um, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I actually don't know a, a lot about that world. Maybe, maybe Epic Tales can give me some recommendations. Sounds cool, but I, yeah, I haven't, I don't think I've took to my knowledge. I don't know if I've read anything within that world. It sounds interesting though. Yeah. We'll have to get a list together for you. And cool. Suggest some books. I'd love that. Yeah. So, when did you decide you wanted to be a writer? What was it that convinced you that's what you wanted to do? Uh, I think it was just a, some pathological distortion that I was born with. Uh, I've always, as a kid, I would draw monsters and I would draw, you know, things inspired by fantasy and sci-fi movies and books. Um, and I, I wrote stories as long as I since as long as I can remember too. It's just something I've always had a, a predisposal to do. Um, so I don't even I don't even know if I feel like it's a choice that I made. I, I chose to start submitting in my mid twenties once I felt like I had work that was 
worth submitting. But in terms of writing, it's just something I've I've always done. Um, and, and that probably stems from my um, love of reading. I've always read. My parents always encouraged reading. Um, so, you know, discovering like J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis in, in, as a kid really inspired me um, and R.L. Stein, And then around the age of 12, when I first uh, met Stephen King through Pet Cemetery. Uh, that was a game-changing moment, um, and ditto for uh, when I first encountered Hubert Selby Jr. in my teens. Like all of those things, I think led to me feeling like, oh, okay, I can. I feel like this is something I could. I could uh, explore more seriously. Hmm. And Rollo commented, "It's a very gory genre." So yeah, it's it's kind of has some some of the gorier side of it's fantasy, but with an edge. Cool. That sounds rad. And uh, Epic just did a Prince of Thorns review on his channel, so I'll, if, if you want to uh, check that out, I'll, I'll link it to you. Uh, sure. Here with, you. with all the, the distractions that we have in modern life with social media and everything else around us, what do you do to stay focused when you're writing a book or when you're on a project? Oh, man, that's a very good question. It's definitely an ongoing challenge, um, especially because like when I have work out there, I, I, I want to do my very best to um, promote and spread the word and also to help boost the signals of other writers and artists to the best of my ability. Um, but it's I feel like it's a constant process trying to find that balance because I, I think social media um, there are there, I've, I've definitely gained a lot of positive things from it but I would also characterize it as a necessary evil. Uh, and I do mean evil. I think, you know, it's not great for our cognition and focus um, and, and mental health. Uh, so I don't know. That's always something I'm trying to regulate when I'm, when I'm on my, when I'm really focused, I'll try to set aside like maybe an hour a day where I allow myself to use social media, but I'm still figuring it out. If anyone has any tips, let me know. Yeah. Yeah, something that I think everyone struggles with to find that balance between yeah, and when is when is enough enough? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. As as far as writing goes, do you have any scenes that are your favorite to write? Like the scenes that you really enjoy writing? Scenes that are my favorite to write. Um, I tend to enjoy scenes that are uh, like intensely visual. So my stories that veer into like psychedelic or cosmic terrain, I like to explore that stuff and to uh, paint vivid images with language um, to the best of my ability. That 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 tends to be where I have the most fun and, and where I lose myself the most. Um, so uh, there are certain sequences in a story from Darkest Hours called A New Kind of Drug that comes to mind. Yeah, that, that was a lot of fun to write. That's probably my favorite story from that. that oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah, that's one of my that's one of the ones I'm most pleased with, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the, the films and the auteur as well. That was yeah. that was uh, I had a lot of fun exploring that, too. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting that you enjoy writing the visual scenes of, and you're a big movie buff. So you kind of see that connection there. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, Epic Tales has a question. What is his writing process like? I imagine that he locks himself in a dark room and lets go. Maybe I'm just projecting. 
it's sort of like that, I guess. Uh, I don't I don't have any locks in my apartment, though. It's all sliding doors. It's a fairly small apartment, so the sliding doors help uh, save space. But um, yeah, uh, I, I don't I don't do anything particularly interesting for my process. I wish I could, in all honesty, say that I, you know, like drink blood out of a skull beforehand or that I invoke some demon or something. But uh, the truth is a lot less interesting. I, I sit at my laptop. I usually play uh, music, either really loud music or really quiet music. So like uh, death metal or black metal where the lyrics are unintelligible or ambient music like um, Brian Eno or Harold Budd. And I write. Uh, and sometimes I will have coffee or tea, uh, always water. And that's it, man. I'm, I'm sorry that's a boring answer, but uh, that's I just hit the I hit the keys with my fingers, and stuff eventually happens. I thought all authors drink blood out of skulls and things like that. That was just the thing you guys all do. Yeah, I think I'm the I'm the boring one. I think most other writers do. Maybe that's what I need to do to join the the cool kids club. But I, I, I don't I don't have a good working order skull. So again, if anyone has any recommendations as to where I can find a. Um, like a really good, reliable skull to drink out of, that would be appreciated. Yeah. yeah. And Epic, Epic Tales asks, no heavy metal? Oh, definitely heavy metal, yeah. Uh, like, um, I don't know, some of my favorite bands to write to would be like Obituary, Carcass, uh, Bathory. Um, sometimes I'll, I, yeah, usually it's 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 stuff, like I, I like all kinds of heavy metal when I'm not writing, but when I'm writing, I prefer music where I can't make out the lyrics. But I, I am also a fan of, you know, all the good stuff, Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, Dio, Motorhead, um, all the good shit. Yeah. Do you ever mix it in your city, listen to music at a lower volume? Do you change the type of genre of music when you're writing certain scenes? Uh... Not necessarily. Usually I just put on an album and it's 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 usually just to kind of drown out the the outside world to drown out the sound of uh, cars on the street and uh, and people screaming on the street and things like that. So, yeah, it, 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 I'll just play, you know, either ambient music, drone music or, um, like I said, wall, wall of noise kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Unintelligible. Yeah. And uh, you gained a fan, Epic, is about to pre-order pre the... <laughs> oh, thank you, Epic. I appreciate that very much. Yeah. Thank you. Um, when you when you finish writing your... When you finish your process and you have the book written, how important is getting your book reviewed or edited by an editor? Do you do, you do that? Is that part of the process you, that you take when you're finished writing your side? Absolutely. Yeah, so... Before I even submit my fiction, I have a group of uh, writer friends who I, I trust to go to as my, the, the term is beta readers, like your first reader. Um, so I often go to uh, two, two amazing local writers uh, named uh, Neil Howell and Randy Schroeder, very good friends of mine. Uh, my older brother, Daniel, is a very talented writer. He usually looks at my drafts. And I have a friend named Tom Hubschmidt who writes um, more, I guess you could say, like uh, literary or non-genre fiction. So I try to get a, a number of different perspectives. Um, yeah, and then in, in terms of publication, there will usually be a house editor who will look at it. There's an amazing 
a fellow at Journalstone named Sean Leonard, who has a really keen eye and his edits are always very helpful. So definitely, definitely important. Yeah. Um, yeah. Editors, editors are, are for the good. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, you know, from the authors that I've all spoken to, I think their, their story and their experiences in, in getting their work published is so interesting to me. So when you first began writing and wanted to get your book published, what were your experiences getting your book out there? Well, I, I started publishing short fiction just in like magazines and anthologies and things like that first. So I looked into, um, uh, what's the name of it? Um, Dark Markets. And uh, there are a couple other online resources where you can find open markets. And I just started sending things out electronically. Um, and then Shelter for the Damned, that was a long process. I, I, I initially wrote a draft of that novel in my early 20s and then reworked it uh, quite dramatically for several years. And then it just took me a while to run, find the right home for it. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I keep my, another good thing social media is great for is, is um, finding and sharing open markets for fiction. So um, that's that's another way I, I find, you know, openings for my stuff. And Stacy J is here. Glad she can make it. Hi, Stacy. When you when you finish writing a book, do you do you celebrate, or is there something you do to to uh, to enjoy the moment when you're finished and when you, it's ready for publication? Uh, I think maybe those are two different questions because I never feel like I'm finished a book okay. until it has been accepted for publication. I, I I do celebrate though when a book has been accepted for publication. Um, depending on where I'm at, you know, I might. Uh, go out for dinner or drink with someone special or have a, a mason jar of good scotch. Um, some, some, some humble, yeah, some, some humble form of celebration, but uh, I do try to imbibe when, uh, when the occasion calls for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for your, for the cover art on book, on your books, how much control do you have or input do you have on the cover art for all of your books? Journalstone has been amazing on that front. Uh, like for um, Shelter for the Damned, they asked if I, if there were any artists I thought who would be good for it. Um, and the name Trevor Henderson came immediately to mind. He's doing amazing work. Um, and Trevor had actually very graciously shouted out Darkest Hours on social media uh, not too long before Shelter was accepted. And they said, yeah, sure, Trevor's great. Um, and then Trevor was also phenomenal to work with. He would send me sketches throughout the process, ask me for ideas. A lot of his original sketches were more of a kind of red and black palette and they were gorgeous. But um, eventually I, I told him like, I'm thinking something more like um, the palette of a haunted house attraction, the kind of bioluminescent and black light uh, glow. Um, and, and he did amazing things with it. So. And then for Darkest Hours, same thing. They, they said, like, do you have any ideas for it? Um, and I said, I'm envisioning a pentagram made out of tentacles in the style of a vintage horror movie poster. And they asked me, like, what font do you like? Do you have any reference images? So I sent them um, some great uh, 
art by some of the famous Lovecraft painters and some heavy metal album covers. And uh, Mikio Murakami is amazing and he, he ran with it and I loved it. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, the, the cover is very eye catching. Well, both of, you know, the Shelter and the Dan Dan Darkest Hours were both very, they pop and they, you, they catch your eye. Thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, credit to those artists. Let's see. Uh, Stacy has a question. Would you rather only ghostwrite for other people's stories or publish your own work unedited? Oh, man. This is a sadistic question. She is a, yeah. Stacey. Watch out for Stacy. Okay. Would I rather only ghostwrite other people's stories or publish my own work unedited? I th I'm going to say my answer is dependent on who I'm ghostwriting for. If I'm ghostwriting for somebody uh, whose work pays the bills, hell yeah. If I'm ghostwriting for uh, somebody and I'm making like no money off of it, hell no. In that case, I would just publish my own work unedited um, because you're always going to cringe at your own work. and Or maybe that's just me, but there's always going to be stuff about your own work that makes you cringe anyway. So say lovey. But uh, yeah, so if, if it's for like a major writer where I'm getting paid a lot, I'd be up for that. Yeah. yeah. Stacy with the with the tough questions. That is a tough question. Thank you, Stacy. Yeah. Are there any books that you started that you when you initially read them, you didn't enjoy them but came to to grow to love them over time? Hmm. I mean, anytime I've written a novel, um I go through periods where like you spend so much time with a novel. For me, I go through periods where I think, is this working? Or you question, like, is this too similar to X, Y, or Z? Have I been here before already? Um, but yeah, by the time I, I, I've, any of my work is published, I've grown to love it on, on some front, or I wouldn't put it out there in the world. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, going through the writing and revision process, I, I almost always have a stage or two where I think, ah, is this working at all? Um, so for me, that just comes with the territory. Yeah. Uh, were there any Were there any books that other people have written that you disliked initially and then came to really love them? Um, maybe nothing comes immediately to mind, but okay. maybe uh, I I I I read um, Stephen King's novel Revival twice because I was considering writing an essay on it. And I liked it better the second time, but I already liked it the first time. So that's the only I don't I don't often reread books. So that could be part of the, the reason why yeah. I, I usually don't read books more than once unless I love them. Yeah. And Epic Gust, when, do you, when did you first realize you wanted to be a writer? We kind of touched on that a little bit ago, but. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's just um, some uh, pathological distortion I was born with, I think so. I don't think I had a choice. Um, it's just something I do. It's like, uh, yeah, an ailment. Uh, what have you learned about yourself during your writing career? What have I learned about myself? Um, I guess I've learned um, how to be resilient, how to be persistent. 
because if there's there's anything that I think is required in order to have any success as a writer or a creative person, it is resilience and it's a willingness to just stomach rejection after rejection. I think that's just part of the territory. It comes with it. Um, so I've learned that I can do that and continue um, hacking away at it. Um, and I, I, maybe I've learned uh, how fucked up I can be, but that's something I think I already knew. So I was like, yeah, that, maybe I knew that going in. <laughs> yeah. uh, Epic wants, he's asking if there's any tips for an aspiring writer like him. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I would say similar to what I just said, Epic, just don't give up. Um, there will be lots of rejections. That's not a reflection on you or your work. Um, you know, if, if you get feedback with a rejection, take that feedback into um, consideration to the, as, as best you can. Um, if you know anybody close to you who you trust and who would be willing to do it, I do think having a beta reader or a first reader, as many as you can, is, is absolutely integral. And read a lot. And, and regardless of the genre you read within, try your very best to read across time periods, genres, points of view. Um, just devour as much material as you can. You know, if, if you're a horror writer, I'd say, uh, you know, try not to read only horror. You want to read a lot of the genre that you work within uh, because you, chances are you probably love that genre. If you don't, maybe not the best genre to work within. But yeah, uh, balanced reading diet is, is good for you. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. So speaking of rejection and, uh, and negative feedback with, with social media and everything else we have around us all the time now, what is it like dealing with negative feedback, whether it's valid or not? What, how do you deal with that? Um, Cause people can be nasty. People can be nasty. This is true. I mean, for the most part, people have been remarkably uh, uh, merciful on me with my work. Um, most of the feedback has been, has been pretty kind. Um, but yeah, the negative reviews are out there. Um, I don't know. That's, that's an ongoing process too. figuring out, uh, what to do with that. I think the best thing to do is tr to try to remember, um, that this is ultimately just someone's opinion. Um, but the brain has this funny thing it does, where if you have 99 positive reviews and one negative review, your eyeballs are going to zoom in onto the one negative review yeah, and, and just ignore all the positive. That's definitely something I do. Um, I don't know. Do as I say, don't do as I do. I don't know. I'm working on it. I'm trying to learn how to, how to deal with that stuff better. I think it's an ongoing process, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure it is. So speaking of... Uh, finding that balance how do you how do you, how do you find the balance of writing what what your readers want versus what you want to write how do you balance that out i i personally think uh you you can't think about what readers want while you're writing i i don't think for me anyway for me i i i think it the the only way to move through a piece of fiction is to just zero in on it and focus on the work. You have to shut out all that other mental clutter. What would readers think? Would it be good for X market or Y market? Um, again, those kinds of questions like, have I been here before? Is this too similar to 
A book or B book, um, I, I, I think in order to efficiently move through a project, you have to shut all of that out. Um, so I, I just try to zero in on the piece and, and let the piece walk me through uh, wherever it wants to go. Um, and then those questions come after, I suppose. And uh, Stacy has a comment. Uh, great advice. I will add, don't start marketing your work. Don't be too shy to self-promote. I didn't know you had a story until you mentioned it in your video. Get the word out so you can get feedback. Didn't know Epic had a story or I had a story? Oh, I think, oh, I'm sorry. I misunderstood. No problem. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I think but in any event, sure. yeah, yeah. Uh, self-promotion is uh, is good. Yeah, definitely. Is How important is a social media following as trying to promote your work and trying to get it out there, is it important to have that connection with your readers or with potential readers? I think so. I, I have certainly, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, I don't think I can pinpoint exactly where uh, sales come from and things like that. But I mean, I enjoy engaging with readers and other fans of the genre and other writers. That, I, I mean, that's one really cool and great thing about social media. And I've made a lot of incredible connections through those platforms. Um, so on that front, I think social media is really good. Uh, like I said, I think it's important to monitor how and why I use social media just for my mental health. But um, yeah. It has, yeah, it absolutely has its benefits for sure. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a favorite, you mentioned that your parents encouraged reading and you, you read a lot as a child. Do you have a, a favorite childhood book? Uh, Pet Cemetery, which I read at age 12. That would be my favorite childhood book. Yeah. Yeah. Are you a big Stephen King fan? Yeah, of course. Love Stephen King. Yeah, absolutely. One of the best. And uh, Epic Tales is, is learning. Oh, thank you, Epic. Happy to hear it. So my, my next question was going to be, if you could have dinner with any author, alive or dead, who would it be and what would you ask them? But I think I might know who your answer is. Oh, man. Any author, alive or dead, and what would I ask them? Oh, man. Um, 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 um. I'm really thinking on this one. Sorry. Uh, I would maybe, I actually, I would love to meet Virginia Woolf. I would love to meet Virginia Woolf and just ask her, um, about her process because I think, uh, her prose is transcendent and her books are transcendent. And, uh, she just was, uh, such a, a, a beautiful and special mind. So yeah, Virginia Woolf, I don't know. That's, ask me tomorrow. I'll give you a different answer, but yeah, it's a tough one. Uh, and the Leslie from the Nerdy Narrative mentioned that's a hell of a book for for twelve. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was um, I think I was twelve. I remember I was I was serving an in school suspension, and I was spending a lot of time in the principal's office, and it was boring, and I couldn't interact with the other kids. And I snuck a copy of Pet Cemetery, and I had it like hidden inside my science textbook, and it just transported me into this other world. Um, so now it has a special place in my heart. It got me through that uh, that time. Should we ask what why you were there? Or? It was cumulative. It was a series of offenses. I was just a wild kid. Um, yeah. yeah. So it was a it was a series of offenses. It was like a final straw kind of thing. Um, yeah. Paying the paying the cost, huh? 
Yeah. Uh, Epic has another question. If you could list out the elements that every good story has, what would that list look like? Very good question. Epic. Good. Um, yeah. Uh, for me as a reader, what I value and um, seek out most in fiction is a distinct style and a point of view, an authentic point of view. Um, and that's not necessarily something you can learn. Some people might argue that you can, and I think you can pick up residue of other writers that speak to you and, and kind of consolidate that into a style. Um, but th that's usually something I either connect with it or I don't. I see like, this is a, this is a unique point of view. This is a style I haven't encountered before. And that's what tends to draw me in first. Um, other than that, you know, a, um, uh, an efficient prose style, uh, you know, you, you have to be able to write a sentence. Uh, that's, that's a big one. Um, and other than that, it's fair game. I mean, yeah, you have to, you have to be able to write a sentence and, and I, and I, I really, for me more than anything, more than genre, more than the content of a story, more than character, more than anything is the point of view like real is this is this um is this real and is it distinct because if you're coming at it from a real place um i think that's where exciting and electric fiction comes from um that's that's just my point of view it's a good question and a good answer thank you yeah yeah great question epic thank you that was a really good one uh, do you believe in writer's block yeah i do because i've encountered writer's block um yeah, writer's block is, uh, I mean, some writers say it's not real or whatever. Uh, maybe for them it's not. I, 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 don't, I don't think uh, it's, it's that that's uh, uh, something that can be applied to every writer. Um, you know, sometimes it can be circumstance or uh, mental health or whatever can just get in the way of your productivity. I think the best solution is to um, try your best to continue reading don't beat yourself up, allow your process to be what your process is. Um, and yeah, for me, I think when I'm at my most productive is when I'm most regimented as a writer. So um, I've gone through periods where I'll write for an hour at the same time every morning or two hours at the same time every morning. And that tends to help me stay on track as a writer. But I've, I've also encountered periods where it's just not coming. Um, yeah. So yeah. And uh, Stacy mentioned pet scares, <laughs> pet cemetery scared the crap out of her. I stopped reading for a while after that book. I stopped reading Stephen King for a while after that book. I was eleven at the time. A fellow, uh, a fellow uh, horror maniac. Very good. Yeah. And uh, Kayla Lenzen uh, is here. She recently did a review, or she recently read Darkest Hours as well. Yes, thank you, Kayla. That yeah. was a great. I really appreciated that. I checked out that video. Thank you. Yeah. And she does some really great reviews. Kayla has some really awesome reviews. Fantastic. Uh, Epic has a question. Uh, how was how has your prose developed from your first book? How did you how did you develop it? Was it a conscious or an unconscious process? Hmm. Um. So I, yeah, I actually wrote Shelter for the Damned before anything in Darkest Hours. Um, yeah, and for me, pro, uh, my pro style like definitely arises from um, my influences to some extent. So, you, I, for me, uh, that that process of exploration through reading 
is very instrumental in terms of develop, developing style. So uh, like I said, when I first encountered King, that was a really electric and exciting moment. When I first encountered Hubert Salvi Jr., uh, that was a really deep connection. Uh, Jim Thompson was another one. Uh, Virginia Woolf, as I mentioned, Edgar Allan Poe, H.P. Lovecraft, Herman Melville. So I, when, I, when I encounter a writer who really excites me, I just devour as much of their work as I can. And I find when I have that sort of relationship as a reader, that enthusiastic, alive um, relationship with a text, that tends to find its way into my writing. Um, so I, I really think it's just a matter of, of staying active and curious as a reader. Um, and and yeah, I don't I don't know if that answers your question, Epic. But uh, yeah, if you, if you have any follow up questions, I can try and answer. But. And you did mention the, the importance of having beta readers or someone to look over your work. Yes. How do you choose those people? How do you decide who should read, who should be a beta reader? Who's, who's what, what type of feedback you're looking for? How do you decide on beta readers? Uh, so how I decide on beta readers is uh, there are people I'm close with whose work I've read, you know, and I, and I admire and respect their work. So I trust their input. So I mentioned, um, Tom Hubschmidt, uh, Neil Howell, Randy Schroeder, and my brother Dan, those are all very skilled writers. Um, so, and I, you know, I'm, I'm close enough with them where I don't, I don't feel too guilty asking that because it's a big commitment to look yeah. at someone's work. So I wouldn't just ask a stranger personally. Um, and uh, in terms of the types of feedback I'm looking for, it's it, it varies from piece to piece. Sometimes I'll say, I feel like um, this ending isn't quite having the impact I want, or I feel like X scene and Y scene aren't connecting in the way I'd like, or I feel like um, Z characters motivations are unclear. So it, it, might, it, it might depend on the story, or sometimes I'll just send it and say, let me know what you think. Is there anything you'd recommend changing? Um, so yeah, that, that varies. Uh, and, and like I said, I, I, I like having a variety of writers too. Um, so Neil Howell writes crime fiction, Randy Schroeder writes kind of experimental, psychedelic punk adventure fiction, very unique. Tom writes character focused literary fiction. And my brother writes a mixture of dark uh, realist fiction and some horror stuff as well. So I just try to get as many different POVs as I can. And uh, Leslie, Leslie from the Nerdy Narrative uh, commented, I was late joining, so I apologize if someone asked, but Mike, would you please give us another Shaq story? I would love an origin story for the Shaq. Hell, I'd love a follow-up too. Interesting. Uh, I'll think about it. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff on the periphery of that narrative. Um, the way I'm dealing with the Shaq's mythology and backstory in uh, the, the film treatment is, is a little different from the novel. And, and I, I kind of go into a little bit more detail there. Um, in terms of another, another novel or story dealing with the Shaq, that could be fun. I hadn't thought about it. If uh, I can't promise anything, but I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you. And thanks for reading. And uh, Kayla Lenzen did mention it was definitely worth the five stars. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And uh, Leslie had another uh, other comment. The prose for Shelter for the Damned is my favorite thing about it. Loved the almost controversial, controversial, 
conversational way, sorry, of storytelling and how it was presented. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, that's an interesting case where um, the first, one of the earliest drafts of the novel was written um, for an experimental literature seminar. So I actually wrote the entire novel like a prose poem with no punctuation aside from the occasional slash and comma. Um, I was too liberally influenced by Hubert Selby Jr., I think. Um, but I also had these kind of concrete poetry sections where I would show the shack materializing out of slashes and commas. Um, and obviously it has been dramatically reworked since then. Um, I was reading a ton of Jim Thompson around the time I wrote that book. And I think his prose style, that kind of conversational style you're describing, I definitely owe a lot to Jim Thompson, the way he narrates his, his novels in alignment with his protagonists. So thank you, though. I appreciate that very much. And we, we talked a little bit about uh, before we went live about the pandemic and in the past year and a half or so. How has the pandemic and just life in general changed your approach to writing or the way that you approach certain stories? Because I think we all see those types of stories a lot differently now. Uh, before we kind of saw pandemic or those kind of stories as science fiction and, you know, never really thought, but now it's, it was life for a long time. and still is in some places of the world. So yeah. how has that changed your process? Um, I mean, I guess the most overt way it has affected my process is um, the first story in my uh, forthcoming collection, Peel Back and See, which comes out from Journal Stone in October. Um, it's called Havoc. And that story features a protagonist who's living in lockdown and who becomes obsessed with this uh, very scary live feed on the internet. Um, so that story actually peripherally addresses the the current circumstances we're living within. Um, and then I think it probably unconsciously informs some other stories I wrote during this period. I, I wrote a story called Offer to the Adversary, which will also be in Peel Back and See, and that's in a, a new anthology called Beyond the Book of Avon. Um, that story features this art scholar who becomes obsessed with a painting by this famous occultist artist, and she becomes uh, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but I guess I'm dealing a lot with screens and surfaces and people being uh, absorbed into screens and surfaces. And I think that probably has uh, something to do with the fact that I've been living in a screen uh, mostly for, you know, over a year now. So, yeah. I think it's so fascinating the way that we see those types of stories now and those because everyone ran out and was watching, um, forget the movie, the uh, with Matt Damon in it, the um, Contagion. Contagion. Yeah. Everyone was watching that at the beginning when it all started, and we all we all viewed it a little differently when it was. Yeah. When it was live. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. Do you write, uh, or do you enjoy any other types of art other than you know? I know that you're into movies and, and music and, and books, but do you ever uh, paint or draw or do anything like that? I drew a lot as a kid. It's not something I've kept up. Um, but I used to, yeah, come up with, uh, creatures and, and other planets and worlds and stuff like that. I wrote a very, uh, unreadable book in my youth called, I was, I was probably like 10 or something. It was called long ago and it ripped off star Wars and Lord of the Rings in equal measures. So things like that really excited me. Um, but yeah, I love visual art too. 
um, like many uh, fans of horror and dark art, I'm a big fan of uh, Bacon. Um, yeah, and I, it, I mean, in pre-pandemic times, I loved to go to the art museum, but uh, that's something I haven't done in a long time. Uh, but yeah, music, cinema, I like it all. Yeah. And I, I noticed recently uh, you, you were, I know you, you post a lot on Twitter about movies and, and things, and I noticed you, you posting a lot about Nicolas Cage lately. Mm -hmm. So so tell me about Nicolas Cage. What's, what's, uh, it seems like you're a fan of his. Huge fan. Yeah. Um, I just think like his, his, his approach to acting is uh, really radical, malleable, versatile. And the way he inhabits his roles often shifts the act, the, the entire film in, in really fascinating ways. And I like the way he's um, he's inhabited so many different genres and performance styles. So he can do this very understated naturalist style, which he does in things like The Weatherman and Wind Talkers. But he can also do this kind of Baroque expressionist style in films like um deadfall and color out of space and and just like the the roles that he chooses and the the films that he chooses uh, uh, tend to interest me too so i just think he's um one of the best living act and he's i love listening to interviews with him too he's he's very thoughtful and deliberate about his craft um he's, he's probably the most interesting actor to listen to speak about the the practice of acting the craft of acting uh, one of his movies that I think it was late '90s, maybe early 2000s. Was eight millimeter? Yeah, and that movie has really uh, stuck with me for a long time. I, th I think that movie kind of got forgotten over the years, but it was pretty, uh, pretty impactful for me. Anyway, I, I saw it a few times in the theater because I, I enjoyed it. I like that one too. Yeah, good cast too. It's got Joaquin Phoenix, James Gandolfini. Yeah, yeah that's oh, a good yeah, film. That's right. I forgot yeah. that one too. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any uh, TV shows or a TV series that you're enjoying? I am a terrible TV viewer. It often <laughs> takes me like years to finish a show. Um, during the pandemic, uh, uh, I watched all of The Sopranos, which I had somehow never seen. And I thought that was an amazing feat of writing and acting. And uh, I mean, I, I pretty it's been talked about enough, but uh, The Sopranos is great. Um, and I like the original Star Trek a lot. I like the twi the original Twilight Zone, Goosebumps, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel. I'm behind the times. I don't know what's going on in, in current television, but I like all those shows a lot. Yeah. we uh, And Leslie mentioned she has to run, but Mike, love your work. Got Darkest Hours Expanded Edition pre-ordered. Looking forward to digging into it. Thank you so much, Leslie. I really appreciate the support. Thank you. Leslie's great. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, we recently watched uh, or rewatched Dark on Netflix. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Mm -hmm. It's a, like a science fiction, uh, maybe horror, but we we would watch each each season and come back and, and talk about it. So I was curious if you were watching a series like that because uh, some elements of horror in it, I guess. Oh, cool. Yeah, no, I, I tend to spend most of my viewing time on on movies. I I, I should get better at keeping up with TV, but. Uh... Can you only there's only so much time, right? Yeah, there's only so much time. Yeah, so you, you watched the Sopranos for the first time, yeah. Yeah, have you seen that? Yeah, I've seen it probably three times over. Oh, it's I can see it. it's so good. Yeah, um, it, I think it's interesting the way that some of the 
some of the characters, you know, I don't know if it's, but these characters are a major part of the, of the, of the story and then they get killed or whatever happens to them. And everyone just kind of keeps going with their lives. <laughs> yeah. Another happens, you know? Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. That's the world they, they uh, inhabit, I guess. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's just the level of performance and, and the consistency, the consistently high quality of the writing. Um, it just, it's like, it's such an epic, amazing piece of art. I loved it. Yeah. And some really great performances in that one too. I believe Edie Falco was really great in that. Phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah, really great in that one. Yeah. Let's see. My questions are scattered here. No problem. And you already mentioned some of your favorite movie directors. Um, mm -hmm. So I actually need need your help for something. Okay. Because uh, we have a movie of the month for starting, actually, this okay. month. Okay. And my month is October. And since oh. it's in October, I have to pick. I'm going to pick a horror horror movie yeah. for our little group to watch, and then we, we're going to come and have a stream and talk about the movie. So, being a horror movie buff, I wanted to ask you for suggestions for a horror movie for people who don't usually watch horror. So, I don't want to not like the Human Centipede or anything, but something okay. something that'll be impactful but not too far. So, wanted to get your thoughts on that for people who don't usually watch horror. You said. Yeah. Okay. Um, da, 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 da. Let's think here. Um, I mean, they might seem like really obvious choices, but I think like some of the best films for like foundation of, of modern horror cinema, like the, the 1931 Dracula and Frankenstein. Um, Psycho is... You know, that's like where the, the slasher genre emerges from. John Carpenter's Halloween. Um, I mean, if you want to really disturb people, The Exorcist. I, that was one of the first horror films I ever saw. Um, it's very, yeah, it's intense, though. Uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, also intense. But um, I, what were you thinking? Any, any titles that you had in mind? Um, I was... I was thinking. I was thinking something like Hereditary was was mm -hmm. a kind of uh, was kind of an, something um, not too not too far out, of, you know, but enough to freak people out a little bit that aren't used to horror movies. Yeah, a little yeah. more recent too. But I thought you'd have some good classics, you know, like Dracula. I didn't think about that. Some good classics that would that would work. Yeah, those are such watershed movies. Yeah, so yeah. good. Um, I did really like Color Out of Space as far as recent horror films go. Um, it's kind of out there. Um, and the film Cam is really good, too. That's on Netflix. Is that um, Cam? Is that a, a foreign language film? Uh, no, it's it's an American movie. It's, it's about um, a Cam girl who uh, develops this kind of insidious online doppelganger. Um, it's so well written and, and the lead performance is like mind blowingly good. So I like that one a lot too. Wow. Yeah. Check, check into those. Any other movies you've seen lately that really, or some modern movies that you've, you've really enjoyed like Cam and uh, color of space or out of space. Yeah. I saw, I saw one uh, from 2018 called look away um, that didn't, I, I, from what I saw the the reviews were kind of, 
divide it, but I thought it was a really interesting, again, a kind of doppelganger narrative, mm -hmm. a very dark coming of age movie. Um, it also dipped its toes into um, like psychosexual body horror in ways that I thought were pretty bold. I dug that. Um, and I saw a Mexican film called We Are the Flesh uh, that, again, I would not recommend this to uh, newcomers to the genre, uh, but I thought there were some interesting things in that. Uh, oh, and um, uh, a Chinese film from 2004 called Abnormal Beauty. That was really cool, too. Uh, so that come to mind. When you mentioned body horror, I thought of, uh, I believe the name is American Mary. If you've seen mm -hmm. that. Yeah. I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a while, but. Yeah, I, I love Catherine Isabel. She's great. And you also mentioned uh, how the original, the John, John Carpenter's Halloween. What did you think of the Rob Zombie remakes? I love them. Love, love, love them. I, I think um, I can understand why fans of the original take issues with uh, Rob Zombie's because Carpenter's film, I think, is seen as like a sacred text and he yeah. fucked with it. Um, but I think if you look at Rob Zombie's films, um, on their own terms as, as um, explorations of like American obsessions with serial killers and the psychological and social factors that contribute to the development of, of um, someone who, who develops like violent tendencies. There's so much there. Um, there's actually a dialogue between me and a critic named Nadine Smith, who's written a lot of great criticism. Um, she and I go really in depth into Rob Zombie's Halloween films and in, uh, in the Dark Stars expanded edition. So, oh. uh, yeah, so love them. Uh, I know they're controversial, but uh, yeah, I'm a big fan. What do you think of them? I, I enjoy them. I thought it was, a, I, I like when they take chances and don't do something, they don't just remake it, you know, point yeah. by point. So I, I appreciate the fact that he just went for it and did his thing and didn't try and, and change course or you know, compromise. It seems like he did what he wanted to do and didn't. Uh, yes, didn't change too much. So, I can appreciate that. And yeah. it's it's strange because with him being a musician, he's so visual in his movies. A lot of a lot of visual. Um, they're very striking. So that's what kind of totally surprises me about his movies. Yeah, he's he's definitely one of my biggest inspirations. And I mean. Uh, you know, again, around the age of 12 or whatever, I had a copy of Hellbilly Deluxe on steady rotation in my Discman. Um, and I had a really cool junior high teacher who said, like, you know, if you like Rob Zombie and Marilyn Manson and all these other artists I was listening to as a kid, he's like, you should check out Alice Cooper. And um, and now Alice Cooper is like, you know, like my favorite. And I think I think the zombie takes a lot of. Um, a lot of what he does as a musician in terms of bringing together rock and uh, theatrical performance and horror imagery from Alice Cooper. Um, but yeah, his state, have you seen him live before? His stage shows are incredible. I did. I saw him. It's been a long time, but I saw him with, I believe it was Godsmack. Was it? I think it was Godsmack, Deftone. It was a crazy Deftone. lineup. Yeah, cool. And it, it was way back in, it was a long time ago, but I was surprised how little he was. I didn't, recognize because he's a because he's when when they're on stage they seem you know larger than life and they seem like these towering figures and then you see them in real life and they're little yeah little, little people so and the show is so huge yeah. yeah 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 that's interesting what is your take on rock music uh these days with, with it seems like rock has kind of taken 
I think probably more mainstream rock. I think most people would call something like the Foo Fighters rock now, when before it would be on the lighter side. Yeah. Seems like there's the heavier stuff, and then there's nothing really in the middle. Mainstream, anyway. Yeah, no, in terms of... Um... Yeah, the, the presence of rock music in our culture has shifted. But I think in terms of um, any artist having the kind of impact that a band like, say, the Beatles or even Nirvana would have had during their era, I just don't think it's possible because of the way we consume music now and the way music is proliferated and distributed. There just isn't really that concentrated um, distribution uh, in the same way there, there was prior to streaming and, and downloading and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I can't even think of any current mainstream rock bands who I listen to, really. I, can, I really can. I guess Rob Zombie is a mainstream rock musician, right? I listen to his so. Yeah, and Alice Cooper. I, but they're like older. I can't think of any new, like I can't think of any band that started after let's say the nineties in the genre who I listen to. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah. that, yeah, that's an interesting question. Yeah. And to your point about the way we consume, the way we consume music now, I remember the, they used to construct albums in a certain way that this, the, the order the songs were in and all of that was like, a, like it was art, the way that they structured it. And now it's just, you buy a song and it's, it's on its own. So I miss, gonna go yell at the kids to get off my lawn after this but you know having the that kind of structure and and listening to an album from start to finish and mm -hmm. then having you know some kind of meaning to it so it's it's a big change for sure yeah no i feel you um yeah i think there are some artists still still paying mind to that but uh yeah you're right it, it's i mean yeah that it's everything uh, our relationship to music and, and the distribution of music and yeah, the design of albums, even the concept of the album is a lot different now. Although like we're still in the midst of that, uh, the vinyl resurgence. So I think to some extent that's the, the, the album concept still floating around, but uh, yeah. I hope so. There's some hope with the vinyl resurgence. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I love, uh, that's how I prefer to listen to music is on vinyl too, for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's strange that it comes back. It seems like if there's a big, like a big resurgence now when before it was a little bit. So it gives me some hope knowing that people still enjoy physical media. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Old fashioned, I guess. But uh, thanks for coming by. It's been, it's been a blast talking in the hour and almost a half flew by. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So I don't know if anyone in the comments has any questions, but uh, get them in uh, if you can. But thanks for stopping by. It's been a lot of fun. I know we've uh, we've been talking about it for a while, so it's we're finally here and finally get a chance to chat. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Steve. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, this is probably one of my favorite things to do on on YouTube is just conversation. So it's a blast. Absolutely, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you so much. So it sounds like Epic uh, learned a few things. So you you helped him out with his with his writing. Oh, that's great. Thanks so much, Epic. Thanks for for listening in. Thanks for the support. Yeah, cool. Oh, yeah, Epic is a really team. nice guy. Yeah, and I'll uh, I'll send you his his review of Prince of Thorns and be curious what you think of Grimdark. I think um, there's some elements 
that are in that genre I think you might uh, gravitate towards. Cool. I'll check it out. Thank you, James. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Thanks James, for, for watching and commenting. Cool. Well, Mike, it's been fun. Thank you for, for stopping by. It's been a blast. Thank you likewise, bro. Yeah, yeah, appreciate it. Thanks everyone for asking questions and participating. It's been it's been a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Stay spooky. Stay <laughs> safe.